I'm Zara, and I'm your host on this One Woman Podcast. Welcome. Before we get into this episode, I would like to ask a question. Does social activism really help actively counter oppression against racial minorities? I guess we'll find out. So, I'm sure you looked at that title and you were like, what is she talking about? The Oppression Olympics is a word that I'm pretty sure you've never heard, and I hadn't heard until recently when I started researching oppression, racism, and anti-racism. So, what exactly is it? It is this idea that marginalization is a competition of determining the relative weight of overall oppression of individuals or groups. So basically, think about like the regular Olympics for sports, but with oppression and how people measure their oppression and people think theirs is worse than other people's. That's basically what it is. Is it, good, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Well, we're going to find out. <laughs> like with everything in life, the oppression Olympics has its good and bad. Except in this situation, there's necessarily no good. There's just all bad. Because there's never any good that comes out of people comparing their trauma and just their history in general. So, we're going to look at the dangers of the Oppression Olympics. the dangers that the oppression olympics can present or even just oppression in general there is a huge list of things that we're not going to be able to get into but i will highlight a few short points and one of the biggest points is that it takes away from the central message from it takes away from the central message of the fight for equality which basically ends up feeding white supremacy because it creates a divide between People of color that, suppo- that are supposed to present a united front and fight against this injustice that is racism and oppression and the people who perpetrate these ideas. Now, a little bit of history before we continue. The term Oppression Olympics was coined or is credited to be coined by Miss Elizabeth Martinez in the early 90s. And it was used to describe the comparison between how white supremacy and the patriarchy patriarchy suppress communities that have people of color. So the fear that the fear is that when the focus shifts from one group to another, people will get left behind. The the common idea that we're all fighting for is gonna get lost in the cause just because there's this divide and people have different beliefs even though we're all fighting for the same cause. So it's like a situation where we're all going to the same spot at the beach, but there's two different routes. And one group of people wants to take the route, one route that's shorter and faster and like whatever. And the other group of people want to take the scenic route where you get to see the sights before you get to your final destination. And this is this has become one of those situations where the oppression Olympics has presented as dangerous and has shown that it has a strong ability to divide people. And also, in my opinion, it kind of defeats the purpose that our ancestors were fighting for in the time of Jim Crow laws and lynchings, 
where just simply being a black person could get you killed where even just shopping or like being in a coffee shop well coffee shops didn't exist back then but like to bring it into the modern times where being in the in a coffee shop can get you murdered as a black person it defeats the purpose of what so many black people fought for centuries ago if we allow comparing trauma of within the same community it just it basically just ruins everything that was fought for and it basically makes it go to waste and in the end that is not the aim that we're trying to achieve we're trying to carry on this legacy that was started by an by our ancestors centuries ago and make it seem like their work was not in vain but if we allow the oppression olympics to divide us even people who are trying to be allies that are not people of color will see the visible divide and decide to not be allies anymore and basically the fight goes to waste which brings me to my next point about intersectionality which when people hear intersectionality they lose it because it's one of those words that make people go haywire when simply it's such a simple concept that can get twisted so many ways so quickly if you do not understand the fundamentals of intersectionality. It was a term coined by Kimberly Crenshaw 30 years ago, and, well, it's obscure, but it takes some understanding. And to the conservative person, it's the one thing that they hold really dear and then throw in people's faces when they try to talk about race or have race conversations with them. The term intersectionality was coined to describe how race, social class, gender, and so many other personal factors interact and overlap in the race conversation. Because you could be a black person and female. You are a larger minority than a black male. You could be a black disabled female. You are at a larger minority than someone who is just a black female so that when it comes to race conversations intersectionality is a big thing because it definitely like it shows that there is more divide and like people compare trauma more based on how parts of their lives intersect and part of parts of their gender and like neurodivergence intersect and form this person that we know and this is brought up in conversation in a speech entitled ain't i a woman by sojourner truth that was delivered at the 1851 women's convention in akron ohio and an excerpt from that speech says that man over there says says that women need to be held into carriages and lifted over ditches and to have the best place everywhere Nobody ever helps me, a black woman, into carriages or over mud puddles or gives me any best place. And ain't I a woman? Look at me. Look at my arm. I have plowed and planted and gathered into bands, barns and no man could ever head me. And ain't I a woman? I could work as much and eat as much as a man when I could get it and bear the lash, bear the lash as well. And ain't I a woman? I have borne 13 children and seen most all sold off to slavery. And when I cried out with my mother's grief, none but Jesus heard me. And ain't I a woman? And that just goes to show that, like, yes, as somebody who's a woman, you are part of a minority group. But if you're a white woman, 
you have more power in society than a black woman. And black women also have more power in society than black disabled women and black neurodivergent women. And to kind of go back to what I already said before, it all overlaps because these are the things that make a person. But when we when we let other people fall behind who are different from us, it creates a much, much larger gap that is harder to bridge because people have made it a point to leave people behind when they don't match up to certain standards or tick certain boxes on a list. And mostly when we talk about race and oppression, we talk about it in the American sense. But when you think about the Canadian perspective, it is as prevalent in Canada as it is in America. But in Canada, in a country like Canada, we tend to hide it and like put it under wraps and not want to talk about it because it does expose the true identity of who we are as a country and all the things that we have done that we refuse or are just starting to acknowledge. And... When you ask people, oh, is Canada a racist country? A large majority of people will tell you no, and that's mainly because they are ignorant, which is not their own fault. They are, But they are ignorant to a lot of the issues that have happened with racism. And even just, if you go into the conversation of residential schools, that was an act of racism because these European people came and said, oh, we don't like people who have lived on this land for thousands and thousands of years and decided to assimilate them into a different culture. So I definitely, definitely think that Canada is a is somewhat of a racist country, or was, I should say, in the past times, but we've definitely become a more, a, a more modern country who's kind of grown into the times, unlike the U.S., at the role of TV and media in this entire conversation <sighs> there's there's a lot that the media has done both good and bad because to be in order to be educated about something and move forward and make the steps towards not making that mistake again you do need to learn about it even though some parts can be gruesome But to a certain extent, the media sometimes goes way too far in portraying these situations, Um, especially in modern times when people are trying to be quote-unquote woke, which is a conversation for another day. But in doing my research, I found a scene from a Netflix hit show, Ginny and Georgia, which is basically a scene between two people of color who are comparing their own oppression and how they've been treated and it kind of makes you wonder that what kind of message is this show trying to send to viewers in in that how they should approach the conversation around racism and oppression and all that stuff but the uh summary of that scene is that This girl feels that her teacher is being racist to her. She talks to her love interest, friend, whatever, about it. And they basically end up having a shouting match comparing oppressions because he's half Taiwanese and she's mixed black and white. And they they start getting into Asian stereotypes of being smart and black women being lazy and angry and loud. And Asian people 
eating dog and things like that and like having to enlist in the military or whatever and it, it it's sad because that is some people's truth and that's what they've been through but also it's also sad on the other hand that the media is putting that out there because on one hand they are trying to educate people and say okay this is what you shouldn't do but on the other hand you are pushing a racist agenda that some people have and you are giving those people airtime and audience and basically a little telling them that you see them a little bit which shouldn't necessarily be the case because people like that you kind of want to keep in the dark and make sure they don't see the light of day all in all i hope that the media moving forward changes how they address topics surrounding racism and oppression because as of right now I'm not necessarily okay with how they are doing it not to say that they are making an effort or an attempt but they need to make a much larger effort for their for their work to be recognized basically and that just does not need to only be producers or directors and writers that are people of color even people who claim or want to be allies can start from like just a short film that portrays racism in a light that is not people of color gaslighting each other or like Asian people hating black people or black people within a certain community hating each other because they are different kinds of black people. And to finish off this episode, I want to talk a little bit about the Black Lives Matter movement. Because a lot of times when people see the hashtag Black Lives Matter or a black person says Black Lives Matter, what is it? A lot of people don't understand it. A lot of people just think it's something that is said when a black person gets killed by a police officer, a person in power. The Black Lives Matter has a deep history but not so deep. It's pretty self-explanatory, but you have to look for this information to be able to find it. Um, a little bit about the Black his- Black, Mat- <laughs> Black Lives Matter. Um, it was created by three black women who started a hashtag after George Zimmerman was acquitted of shooting and killing Trayvon Martin in Florida in the year. I'm not exactly sure. I think it was 2012. The, after that, the movement kind of died. It wasn't necessarily a movement then. It was still more of a hashtag on social media. And then in 2014, after the deaths of more black men in Missouri and New York, it, it gained more traction and it became an organization. And that's when people kind of realized that the movement was here to stay. Soon after 2014, after more and more deaths of African-American bo- men and boys who were killed at the hands of police, many of whom were unarmed, black women and girls started to raise awareness about black women who were also targets of police violence, starting the hashtag Say Her Name movement that is now a highlight to bring, to bring light to black women who have been affected by police brutality and police violence. The BLM movement has now become the face of the fight against injustice against black people, and people who have suffered from police brutality in states across the United States. To answer my question that I asked at the beginning of this episode, like everything in life, social activism has good and bad. It 
brings attention to the issues that need to that deserve the attention but also can bring some trolls and people who don't necessarily support your movement or just want to see you fail and they're there to laugh at you when you fail so yeah it does help actively counter with a tiny percentage of failure slash something going wrong somewhere first episode of the global issues podcast that was a lot that i've covered and there was more that i wish i could have covered we're trying to keep this short and sweet so thank you for listening to the first ever episode i hope you like it and please do come back